Right, if you could turn with me to Mark chapter 11, verse 27. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. And we're going to read a short section of Scripture this morning. Just to verse 33. And um, yeah, I'm trusting the Lord is going to give me grace today to speak about what I feel He's put on my heart through this word. And I trust that this morning will be a defining moment for us as a church and as followers of Christ, um, and uh, that we're going to be able to see what the Scripture has in all of its grace for us today. So let's read from Mark chapter 11, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to Jesus, by what authority, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's too dangerous for Jesus to stay in Jerusalem because he knows that uh, he's hated and they want to take him out. They don't like his public uh, popularity. He's just coming through this uh, triumphant entry onto this uh, on this colt, on this donkey. And all of Jerusalem is saying, Hosanna! Hosanna, here's our king! And uh, these guys are threatened, as you can see in this scripture. They're very sensitive about their public profile. That's the first thing they don't like about Jesus is the limelight he's getting. But the second thing that they don't like is he's just cleansed the temple. And if you've ever read <laughs> that scripture, it, it, it kind of redefines a gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He goes and he makes a whip and he goes into the temple and he kicks over the tables of the money changers, and he cleanses this place of worship. It is a public portrayal of his concern of where the hearts of Israel are. And these guys don't like it. He's got their attention. And they're coming to him, and they're saying, there's a bit of a showdown here. They come to him and say, what authority, by what authority are you doing these things? It's a brilliant question. I don't think they were too interested in Jesus' answer. But this is the point, is there was something about this man that made him to some degree untouchable. And this section of Scripture is really important because it's talking about fruitfulness. Next week, I've decided to cut this section in half. Lucky you, there was too much to say. You know, for me, that's a big deal, right? So we're just looking at half. But this flows with this theme of fruitfulness. My friend, if you have come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God is looking for something back. He wants an outworking of your relationship with Jesus into every area of your life. It is designed to transform you from the inside out. And over a period of time, God comes and wants to do an analysis of our lives. And it's very important because many of us are a little bit frustrated with our own speed or our very sensitive consciences. And whenever someone gets up here to talk about the scriptures on fruitfulness, you always feel so insecure or guilty because you don't see enough. Well, friends, you must remember when Jesus starts to talk about fruitfulness, this is coming on the Tuesday before he's about to be crucified. Fruitfulness takes a long period of time. And so whenever the Bible starts to come and ask about fruit, in Galatians, it's at the end, the fruits of the Spirit. Here in John chapter 15, I, I preached uh, three weeks ago, 
um, on fruitfulness. It is the last discourse with his, his disciples before he's about to be crucified. This aspect of fruitfulness is over a long period of time. These people have had three years of powerful ministry from Jesus. Before that, they had years of powerful ministry of John the Baptist. These guys have enjoyed a work of God in their lives. And it is appropriate at this time of the gospel, on the Tuesday night before the weekend is coming and Christ is going to be crucified, for Christ to be talking about to these Jewish people, saying, how long, Israel? How long does the work of God need to be at work within you before we see the fruits of the kingdom in your life? And I ask you this morning, how long have you known Jesus for? And if you had to look back over the years of your life and all of his provision of grace, can you see a changed person? Not perfect. No, no, that'll come when we get to glory. But can we see grace growing in our hearts? Can we see the church maturing in her ability to love God, love each other, and love the lost? These are the things that are on the mind of God. And I'm going to talk about the parable next week, which explains how fruitfulness doesn't happen. But today I want to look at how fruitfulness does. Can I just take a moment and say to you this morning, this will only make sense to you if you see your salvation as the biggest thing in your life. If you've come this morning with practical problems, which are reality, the only way you will understand the kingdom and how they are framed in this scope is the grandeur and glory and activity of this God of heaven and earth that you are caught up in this morning. Your salvation is big. And what we're talking about this morning is big. It is the primary reason why you exist. It is for this God in his glory. And if this doesn't frame your heart towards this text today, it's going to be too abstract. The grace of God is going to be missed. What we are dealing with here is the essential items of your existence. And friends, what I want to talk about this morning is what we as a church live off. What we as individual Christians live off. Unless this thing is happening in our lives, we've got no hope of change, we've got no hope of life, we've got no hope of power to live this life for Jesus. It will become cold academics. But friends, this morning, there is something about this Jesus Christ that, these leadership, that this leadership doesn't understand. It's gripped and they're going, what does this man have? That we don't. What is this authority in his life by which there's this amazing move of God happening, not only in the nation as a whole, but in the people around him? What is this dimension of God that is happening through this Jesus Christ that we cannot explain according to the flesh? My first point this morning is the nature of spiritual authority. Friends, Jesus has something that these people don't understand, and it's something that you and I need if we are going to participate in the kingdom of God. They ask him a big question in Mark chapter 11, verse 28. They said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Now, I just want to push pause there for a moment and, and unpack the almost incredible nature of what is going on here. Can I ask you a question? Every time you read the story about Jesus cleansing the temple, do you know what I ask? And I wonder if you've asked the same question. Why does he get away with it? Ever asked that? I mean, if somebody came into your business, made a whip and started turning over the tables, wouldn't you do something about it? Here they have got armed guards. We're going to see it in just a few days' time. They're coming to arrest Jesus. They are, they are Roman soldiers. There, are there is a massive military presence in Jerusalem because of its political volatility. These men could have called upon any of their, their earthly authority to squash Jesus, but they can't do it. Why is that? What is this about this man that he gets away with turning over these tables in the temple and being able to overthrow this, even the economic system of the way these, these guys are enriching themselves? You see, because the reason why this fascinates me is that this Jesus had no authority according to human standards. Just think about this for a moment. These leaders coming to Jesus, 
the chief priests have got amazing hereditary titles and status. Jesus has got no title or status in Israel at all. He's got no hereditary permission to do the things that he is doing. There is no earthly status in Jesus that should give him this permission to do it. The second thing is the scribes are coming to Jesus. These were the most learned men in Israel. They knew their Bibles. Trust me, they would have done the Bible reading plan multiple times over. They are the educated ones. And here is this uneducated carpenter from this backwater town, Nazareth, turning over tables, causing a massive move of God amongst the nation. And here he is almost despised for his lack of education. And yet he has this authority about him. I'll go even further. The elders come with this group of leaders to talk to you. He had no leadership status. He was not appointed by, by, by public, uh, what's the word, vote or, uh, or, or accreditation of saying, here's a, a wise guy, here the people are choosing you to represent him. He wasn't even an elder, and yet he had this ability and authority to execute these things. Friends, when you start to think about this man, if you just look at it at the natural lens, this backwater carpenter from Nazareth doing these mighty acts that are turning the nation upside down, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. Because friends, what Jesus has here is a spiritual authority. No human learning, no human position, or hereditary status can give. He has a dimension of power that these leaders know nothing about. Isn't it interesting that when you look at the kind of people God uses powerfully, when you look at them to the lens of humanity, it doesn't make sense. Here is John the Baptist, guys. If you think about who John the Baptist was, he was socially awkward. He was a recluse. He didn't like to live in towns. He would, he was, he would wear very funny clothes. Anyone wore camel's hair lately? It's rather uncomfortable. And yet, the whole of Israel is coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. Here you have Jesus, this carpenter of Nazareth, and he is preaching with such power. He is demonstrating such authority, and these people who should have it don't. And this is what I want to explore today. Friends, this kingdom authority is only obtained through the sanctioning power of the Holy Spirit coming upon human lives. No sweat, no status, and no learning humanly can produce this in a human life. Only the power of the Spirit. And friends, the reason why we need to be interested in this work of the Spirit as the church today, it is the only way the kingdom of God moves forward in the world. Anybody paying attention to the great professors in the universities espousing their technical jargon on what justification and redemption and atonement? Anybody reading them lately? Anybody taking notice of the political activists in the name of Christ trying to lobby for law changes? Friends, nobody pays attention to human learning. Nobody pays attention to human status. No one pays attention to human leadership positions. Oh, but when the Holy Spirit is at work... Friends, something begins to happen. The kingdom begins to move forward. And the people start to change in response to this work of God coming only by the Spirit. And it demonstrates itself through authority. We must not apologize about this as the church. What is the mark of the Spirit-filled Jesus? It is an authority over the demonic. It is an authority over disease. It is authority over death. And it is an authority to proclaim truth in the power of preaching. Friends, the manifestation of the Spirit comes through this spiritual power, which is experienced as authority. And it is the only way the kingdom of heaven moves forward. Now, If you read your Bibles, which some of you are, from cover to cover, I want you to take note of something about how the Bible will force you to relate to the Spirit if you are willing to let it speak. 
What do I mean? Is don't you think it's interesting that in the life of Jesus, prior to the outpouring of the Spirit, which he received as a dove coming to rest upon him in Luke chapter 4, you know virtually nothing about his life. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why doesn't the Bible tell us what he was like as a teenager? It would be very helpful as a parent, I'll tell you that. I'd say to Sarah and Elijah, do you see how you're supposed to behave? Ever wondered how Jesus navigated adolescence? Ever wonder why Jesus, how he navigated young adulthood? All that happens is suddenly, 30-year-old man rocks up, and John the Baptist, there's this beautiful handing over of the baton, this, this tying over. That's how the, the Holy Spirit works, is it unites this move of God through the ages. And there you see John the Baptist announcing, Behold the Lamb who comes to take away the sin of the world. Here is the man of the hour. And what happens is Jesus is baptized with John. He's flowing with the work of the Spirit. And this dove comes down upon him. And suddenly, Jesus has power he's never had before. You see, Jesus was 100% man. He, he, he forsook his, his divine prerogatives as the Son of God. And what the Bible wants us to see is the difference of how the kingdom of God moved forward. Even in Christ was the moment when the Holy Spirit came down and remained upon him as a dove. That was the kicker. That was the difference. That's what even Jesus Christ needed to be effective in the kingdom. Are you with me so far? I'll go even further. Don't you think it's interesting that John the Baptist, the social recluse, how do you explain his ministry? Unfortunately, God didn't answer the same prayer for my boys and girls, but do you know that he was filled in the womb with the Spirit? That this man had this aspect of his life right from the very womb. When he was born, there was this aspect of John's ministry, sanctioned, empowered, filled with the Spirit, so that when he would stand, people came to him. That's a sign of great preaching. It's not that the guy's going out to find him. There's such anointing that out in the wilderness, guys will leave a day's um, a wage from work. They'll do anything to go and listen to this man preach. They'll go be baptized by him. How do you explain the power of John the Baptist and his ministry? Friends, it is the mark of the fullness of the Spirit in his life. Isn't it interesting, even upon the church, in Acts chapter 1, here you've got this, this fearful little flock locked in this room, in the upper room, too scared to leave. But the second the Holy Spirit comes down upon them, they're going out and they're preaching and signs and wonders are happening. There is this authority upon the church that before the world didn't even know it's an actual fact that the, the, the church was hiding. But when the Spirit came upon this church, they were never the same again. And suddenly the world was taking notice of this dimension of God upon his people. And you either hated it or you loved it. And what we are talking about this morning, I, I'm trying to be slow because language is important here. What we are talking about is the word anointing. Have you ever heard that word before? Anointing. And the reason why I want to speak about it this morning is it's a word that Jesus uses. And he gets it from Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 to 2. When he, he quotes in Luke chapter 4 verse 14, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christ himself is attaching his earthly ministry and its power to change lives, even a nation, because of the power of the Spirit resting upon him. You know what this wonderful word anointing means? It's the picture, I'll give you an example of King David. Here's this little boy with these sheep in, an, in a faraway field, not even noticed, that's the point, not even noticed by his own daddy or his brothers. When it comes to the end of the queue, Samuel's going, have you got any more? And, 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 and Jesse goes, oh, oh yeah, I've got, I've got one more. He's out there in the field. And God finds him and, and through Samuel, and Samuel anoints him with oil. He pours out this oil over David. It is this sanctioning. It is this covering. It is this lubrication of the Spirit that gets things working. You know when you try and start an engine without oil, what happens? It seizes, right? You pour oil into that, 
And suddenly what is designed by God is working and moving. And friends, from that moment of the anointing resting upon David, the Spirit rested upon him. And that's what produced his extraordinary kingship. Yeah, it was the call of God, yes, but it was this ministry of the Spirit. It was this anointing upon David that made him the forerunner of Jesus Christ himself. Now, I have to say to you, SBC, no learning can produce this. Please hear me this morning. It does not matter what your IQ is. Unless you have this anointing working in your life, it's impossible to understand. No amount of years of attending church, no amount of familiarity with the Word of God, I'll get there in a moment, not even a Christian heritage for generations in your family is enough to produce what you need through the anointing of the Spirit. Tonight, I mean this morning, sorry, I'm really getting ready for the 6 p.m. <laughs> no amount of earthly leadership in your elders will produce what this church needs in order for her to move forward in the kingdom of God. Nothing. Whether you're a deacon, whether you're a children's ministry person, a worship team member, whether you're an elder, whether you're a preacher, no matter what position or role you might have inherited or put your hand up for in the kingdom, is going to produce any momentum or forward thrust of the kingdom in and of yourself unless there is this anointing, this sanctioning, this empowering, this working of the Spirit of God in human hearts. Don't you think it's interesting of what the fruit of the absence of anointing was with these great teachers? <laughs> I often think about this, and I hope that you rescued from it. You know, these great scribes, these great teachers, you know what they used to say about them? Well, I'll give you an example. When they heard Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You know what the absence of the anointing is in the pulpit? And when there's an absence of the anointing upon teaching, it is so boring. You lie there and you think, God, please let this end. God, please let this guy be done. I can't take it anymore. And the worst thing is, and in preaching without the anointing, it just heaps burdens on your shoulders and gives you no power to shoulder them. It's demand upon demand upon demand, morality after morality after morality, but no inner power, no joy, no kingdom understanding to live a life that's full in the love of Jesus. Friends, the, the, the effect of these guys' teaching in Israel was boredom and burdens. And here you have the teaching of Jesus under the anointing, and these people are astonished because there's this difference in what Jesus is saying Versus these guys that are so exhausting in their technicalities. And the reason why I want to talk about this this morning if this anointing, and yes, in essence, all that this word anointing means is help from the Holy Spirit. If this anointing is the only thing that we see awakening Israel to the glory of God and the demands of the kingdom, friends, it is the only thing that's going to awaken us to the call of Christ in our day and awaken a church to an obedience to Jesus. And what I'm concerned about for us this morning is we have an understanding that we need to know our Bibles, right? Yeah, good. We need to be praying, yeah, good. We need to be gathering, yeah, good. But we can do all those things and not notice the absence of the help of God that we need in order to understand them all as we do them. Are you with me this morning? And what I'm concerned about us as a church is that we need to recognize what this need for this anointing of the Spirit is. Without a church, we are going nowhere slowly. <laughs> And I'm concerned for us today, I'm going to just do four little simple things of why we need the anointing unpacked in this moment between these leaders and Jesus. But friends, today, 
in your life and in the church unless we have this experiential help of the Spirit in our minds and in our hearts. We're not going to be able to be useful for the kingdom, and the kingdom in and of itself will be shut. It will be closed. We might talk about knowing Jesus, but only academically. It is the Spirit that gives us fellowship with Christ and makes Him burn in our hearts. What I long for and what we long for as an eldership in this church is to see the Spirit so operate in His people that the Emmaus Road experience is your experience as you come to the preaching experience of the Word of God. Remember these guys were so depressed they, 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 they say to this guy that's a stranger initially to them, and they say, have you not heard what's happened? This Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he was crucified, and all their hopes have been shattered because this man in the flesh has been crucified, and they think, well, it's all over now. What was that all about? We had hoped for a whole big move of God, and we didn't see it. Oh, then Jesus comes, and by the power of the Spirit, he begins to open up the Word of God. They begin to see in all of the Scriptures the things concerning Christ. And as the Spirit is ministering, there is this opening up of their hearts, this burning of their hearts in response to the Spirit. And friends, it's not that they just celebrate and they see Jesus in experience with their eyes. They've seen him already through the power of the Spirit in their hearts, and they're never the same again. But at the end of the day, friends, if this anointing is not working in the church, she's dead. And I want to ask you this morning this basic question. Do you sense his anointing here? You know, this morning when Neville shared, I couldn't believe that that was the word that God had matched to this sermon. Because as an elder, my longing is that the presence of God and the work of the Spirit forming Christ in our hearts would produce that kind of testimony to the world around us. Because friends, that kind of work of the Spirit in a human heart is what gets the world's attention. Amen? It's what we need. Moses refused to go any further into that promised land without that mark, that distinction, that sanctioning of the presence of God. I want to ask you, SBC 8 o'clock, are you willing to go forward in your life? Are you willing for the church to just go on and on in perpetuity without this mark and dimension of the Spirit of God in our gatherings and in our people? Friends, there is a world out there happily going to hell. There's a world out there that thinks what it has to offer vastly exceeds that of Christ. The reason why they don't believe the gospel is because the last majority of Christians believe the same that they do. And it's when this awakening of the Spirit begins to work in the human heart and we start to see the value of Christ, willingness in the flames to say, no, I'm not denying Him. Willingness in the flames of suffering to say, I believe that this God is still the same and His word is true. The willingness to follow Christ, come what may, and to demonstrate to the world through that sacrifice that He is truly worthy of that kind of worship. That's the kind of people that the world begins to take notice of. And I want to say to you this morning, guys, Unless the Spirit is working in you and in me, and in us as a community, it will never come. And, and the reason why I, I'm preaching this this morning is it's a church that recognizes this dimension of need that gets down on her knees to ask for it. We're in a, a place as a church where God has been very kind to us. He's done some wonderful things over the last couple of months. But friends, you know what I sense from his heart for us this morning is to know where our true dependency lies, is that we need this working of the Spirit actively in our hearts and in our gatherings. And we need to ask for it. We need to give ourselves in prayer for it. And even the Lord's Prayer, this has been my, my download this last week. When we are praying, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a, a cry for the work of God's Spirit to minister the grace of Christ, this kingdom of God, ministering it into this world for the glory of His name. It is a cry for the operating of the Spirit to be heightened in and through the church. Now, I want to ask you some questions this morning. When you came here this morning, did you pray for anointing in the services? Do you recognize that unless there's anointing on me this morning, is that the Word of God is not going to come forth clear? 
living and active, unless the anointing is working in your heart to translate what is happening in this room, it's not going to become understandable. There is this dimension of as we gather as a church, we know what we're after and what we need. Are we like that this morning? Can I nudge us to become more like that? That in our prayer life, even as we open up our Bibles, it's wonderful that people are reading Scripture, but do you understand your need for the Spirit to open up the Word of God to your heart that you might live it and understand it? Do you understand this morning as you go into work this week that you need the help of the Spirit in your life to live for Jesus? You need this anointing, this, this, this empowering and sanctioning over your words, over your mind, over your heart, that you might love correctly, that you might forgive correctly, that you might serve correctly, that you might have the dimension of the kingdom peppering every aspect of your life. You see, if you don't really see your need for it, then you've got no need to ask for it. I want to ask you this morning, how much do you feel led in your walk with the Lord versus having to be the front-footed one all the time? How much do you feel that you're shouldering this thing in your life, that it's all leaning on your shoulders? How much of this is you having to figure out and work out the mess you might find yourself in? How much are you leaning into the flesh? My friends, our need for this anointing of the Spirit, it categorizes every aspect of our life. If we don't have it in our prayer life, if we don't have it in our scripture readings, if we don't have it in our practical living for Jesus and in our congregating as a church, friends, we're dead. We're dead. We've got no hope of help. Don't you think it's interesting that Jesus calls the Spirit our helper? And he says this morning, guys, it's good for me to go away. Because me in the flesh, I can't get everywhere. But you having me by the Spirit means I'm going everywhere with you. How much do you need him this morning? Or is this just by rote? How much do you expect him to guide and lead you in the practicalities and areas of your life? Or is this just something that is routine, that we get through and we carry on until next week? Friends, this morning, what we are looking for is the help of the Spirit, and it's called the anointing. And it's a personal experience. John chapter 1 says, if you're a Christian, you've experienced this anointing already, and you have it. The basic rudiments of the gospel, that your need for Jesus has been opened up by the eyes of the Spirit. He's, he's, he's enabled you, this help of the Spirit, to see Christ and, and confess Him as Lord and Savior. He's already been at work in your life. You've needed Him so much in order to know Jesus and confess Him as King. Oh, how much more do you need Him now to live for Him in every area of your life? Why do we need the anointing of the Spirit as a church? Let's just quickly land on this this morning. Oh my goodness, it's quarter past nine. I was wrong. <laughs> okay, let's land this thing. Do you know why we as a church need the anointing of the Spirit? It's because we can't see clearly without Him. These guys come to Jesus asking the question, by what authority are you doing these things? Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. Let me ask you the question you need to be asking. And the question is this. He says, I'll ask you a question. Was John the Baptist's ministry from heaven or from man? The big question you should be asking yourself is, are you flowing with the kingdom of God? They wanted to know what, what authority, what network is behind Jesus here, and how can we use it against him? No, friends, that wasn't the right question. The, the anointing upon Jesus could help him see clearly that the question they needed to ask was whether or not they were flowing with what God is doing. And why am I jealous for us as a church to have this anointing, this help of the Spirit in our gatherings and in our meetings and in our leadership? It's because we can see clearly. It helps us flow with the plans and purposes of God for his church. And friends, today, the anointing of the Spirit helps you to see things that you never thought of. You see, the anointing of the Spirit is, is, is essential in that human nature thinks one way, the Spirit thinks another. And the mark of the Spirit and the anointing in your life, and you might know this personally, and certainly we've experienced this as a church, is He leads you to places you thought you never had to go. And today... The help of the Spirit, friends, 
is to give us this clear-mindedness, this ability to see things from God's perspective, and it's the only way it comes. Unless we have his insight and his perspective on things, friends, we don't see clearly. And if we don't see clearly, we're blind. And if we're blind, it means we can't respond. If we can't respond, we can't change. And if we can't change, it means the kingdom of God can't move forward. The very essence of our being able to partner with this King of kings and Lord of lords is this ability that comes through the Spirit to see clearly. It is the mark of repentance. It is the mark of illumination when he shines into the human mind and shows us what we are really like. Ah, that's the first opportunity by which we are actually able to change. And I want to ask you this morning, when last did God shine into your heart and show you something that you never thought you had to see? Because the second thing is this, is that it demands a response. When the Spirit is working and there is anointing, friends, it comes to, like Jesus says to these leadership guys, he says to them, well, I'll ask you a question. He says, is the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And he says, answer me. Doesn't that strike you as rather direct? Doesn't that strike you as gripping those leaders saying, hey, this is not just something nice that's coming to me. It's not that I'm just understanding what Jesus is saying. No, no, he's asking a response from my life. And friends, the mark of the anointing in your life is not just mere illumination of being able to see clearly and the church being able to see clearly. The mark of this amazing power of the Spirit coming upon the human heart is that it's gripping, it's direct, it grabs your attention, it compels you. In, in essence, it is experiencing the authority of Jesus in heaven being ministered to you by the Spirit on earth. Now, why is that so important this morning? Friends, we're in an age when the church is virtually sound asleep. She's doing what she does and what she's been doing for centuries but there's an absence of this dimension of power. And the reason why we want anointing in this place of the Spirit is when the Spirit is operating in your life, it's not like, oh, that was so nice, or let me just nestle down in my nest to be comfort comfortable this morning, is that when God starts to grip you by the Spirit, because you can start to see clearly, it's also matched with this authority coming into your life. And there's no neutral. There's no, well, that's nice. I'll just go and sit down and carry on with my life as it was before. No, no. It comes as this gripping, compelling, astonishing Revelation from heaven. And I want to give you a little example this morning of what happened to me. You know, it can come to you so gently through a conversation with Jesus. These leaders come to Jesus and they say, they ask Jesus a question. Jesus asks them a question back. That's how the Spirit works. Moves you to what is on God's mind, not yours. But as the Spirit does this, there is this aspect or grain. The way you know it is the anointing, the help of the Spirit in whatever you're doing is you're a bit astonished. And friends, this is what Bible reading's like. This is what prayer is like. This is what preaching can be like in your life. When God starts to minister you by the Spirit, there's an astonishment. So 15 years ago, I was reading in my quiet time the story of the rich young man coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And now I'm a student. I'm poor, Right? Money is certainly not high up on my priority. And when Jesus says to the rich man, go, uh, sell everything that you have, I said to Jesus, Jesus, I don't know. Money's not my, my idol or my God. I can barely pay enough for my petrol. What is it in my life? This is, I love it. Like these leaders, you, you're coming to Jesus. You ask Jesus, what is it in my life that you want to speak about that is, was like money for this rich young ruler? And I tell you, it was the simple line from heaven. And it was astonishing. God said to me, Matt, it's your reputation. And as he said it, I was astonished because I knew he was right. What people think about me. But you see, that's the mark of the Spirit. Is you, you come into the Scriptures. You, you don't fully understand what you're reading. You're going, how does this fit in my life? You, you come to some sermon and, and, and you, you're listening to this guy preaching and, and you're needing some help. And when the Holy Spirit begins to speak, oh, it is this, this grain of astonishment because suddenly you recognize you're seeing something you never saw before. And it's compelling. You know you must address it. You know you must change. And it could be in a change of, 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 of I'll get to that in my third point, it, it, is that the Spirit of fix the status quo. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because we are blind without Him. Secondly, we are neutral without Him. We don't have any compelling reason to change. The third is this, is it, it upsets the status quo. Friends, we need some awakening in the church. 
We need some awakening in our lives. I want to ask you, how much of this experience of the Christian life is just boring, same old, same old? When last have you experienced Jesus coming to your life and turn over some tables? When last did you experience Christ questioning back to you, saying, hey, what about this in your life? When last did Christ begin to grip your heart about the things that matter to him? Or is it always about what matters to you and how he's not meeting what you need? Friends, we need a church that when the anointing comes upon him, she starts to change and she starts to awaken to what this world needs to see. It's not going to come through academic preaching, I'll tell you that. It's not going to come even through basic faithfulness. It comes through that as we are giving ourselves this kingdom, we need this outpouring of the Spirit. We need this anointing and help of the Spirit. And fourthly, why do we need the anointing of the Spirit? Well, because it challenges pride. These guys thought that they had everything they needed to be effective leaders. But friends, the number one thing that they didn't have was a right relationship with God. And this morning, they had an opportunity to experience Christ's frank answer, what they needed to hear to change their lives but they couldn't receive it because they wouldn't climb down from pride. Their response to Jesus' question of where the Holy Spirit was wanting to go was that they didn't want to admit that John the Baptist was actually flowing with God. We can expect, friends, that when the Spirit is moving, we are going to be confronted with the choice of whether we are going to stay the same in the flesh or whether we're going to start living by the help of the Spirit, and start looking more and more like Jesus, this work of the Spirit can be resisted. This work of the Spirit can be squashed. It can be pressed down. It can be stifled. My friends, this morning, it's a call to be responded to. It will challenge our reputations. They were so worried about what people would think. But friends, it would lead to, if they had responded, if they had responded to this work of the Spirit, a wonderful alignment with God. And in the, in the end, that's all that matters in our lives. Is are you on track with Jesus? It's not measured, please hear me, by how much money you have in the bank. In actual fact, your finest moment might be how little you have. It's not measured by how many clothes you have in your closet or how beautiful you look on the outside. Do you know what true godliness is measured by? You know what a church that is pleasing to God is measured by? Is the quality of the hearts of the people towards their leader, Jesus, and the openness that they have to the Spirit of God ministering Christ in every season and His leadership over their lives in every season that they find themselves in. Friends, this compulsion that we are of responding, of responding to this message, the compelling response to this message is this. Friends, are our hearts open to a need for the Spirit? Are our hearts willing to climb down from how we've done things before and, and what we understand as being our preconceived idea of even church. What are we, in terms of our openness to the leadership of the Lord upon our lives? That's the question. Successful business, beautiful children, nice venues, academic accolades, but a heart after God's a dependency upon the one who helps us live for him, and a desire for this dimension to be upon us as a church. That's the kind of people we are called to be. And friends, can I ask you to pray for it? Simple application point. Would you pray every up-and-coming Sunday? Would you pray for this anointing to be here? Would you pray as you open up your Bibles 
Come, Lord, by your Spirit and speak to me. As you're praying, would you be open to the leadership of the Spirit, not to get through your, merely your prayer list, but to allow him to interrupt and to guide your heart? Would there be an awareness as you're going to work, as you get out your car in the morning? Lord, by your Spirit, would you help me today? Would you help me walk by the Spirit that I want before the lusts of the flesh? Would you understand that you are living, moving, having your being with this presence of God, minister to you by the Spirit in your life? Friends, that's the kind of Christian God is wanting to use, and that's the kind of church that's moving the kingdom of God forward. But you've got to see your need. He's willing to provide it. He says, you know, this morning, I'll, I'll, I'll go into prayer with this picture. My little boy comes in. He found a Lego brochure. And I was the audacity of this boy to say, I want this for Christmas, I want this for Christmas, I want this for Christmas. I want, Daddy, you must buy me this, you must buy me this. He's got no concept of the cost. He's got no concept of, 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 of availability. doesn't matter to him. He comes to his dad right before coming to church because he believes his father's able to give it. And this morning, do you? Do you want it? Do you want this work of the Spirit in your life? It's available. It's there. It's for the taking. But it starts with need. And it comes to coming down on your need to ask him for it. Father, this morning, our Lord, we are talking about an experience here. And I pray in our hearts this morning, we would see our need for the help of the Spirit, called the anointing. There's no life outside of the ministry of the life of the Spirit inside of our hearts, Lord. Giving us Christ. There's no true fellowship with you, Father. And this morning, I pray that in our hearts, there would be a hunger and thirst to be close to you by the Spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by your Spirit this morning. And I pray for warm hearts in this room. Lord, I pray for hearts that are receptive and responsive to the knockings, the promptings of the Spirit. I just sense there's some who feel very lonely in this room, in their faith. Lonely in their faith with Jesus. And friends, it's because of this absence of real fellowship that comes by the Spirit. I just sense a real coldness, strain, sweat, struggle, even a sense of hopelessness this morning. And you're gripping to Christ, but it's almost in theory. <laughs> Oh, Lord, I pray for a fresh openness and reliance and dependency upon the ministry of the Spirit. Slow us down as a church, we pray. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Show us our need for Him this morning. Increase fullness in this place, we pray. Father, we want to be a church that asks and seeks and knocks over and over for our heart and sense of the help of the Spirit. We say to you as an 8 o'clock this morning, we are totally dependent on you and we don't want it any other way, Lord. The ministry of the Spirit through the gifts here, won't you awaken them, Lord? The personal sense of the authority of Christ upon us as a church through his help the spirit of wisdom and revelation to live wise lives, upright lives, lives worthy of the gospel. Lord, these are the things that we're leaning into this morning as a church. Help us, we pray. Increase our faith for it, we pray. Help us see with the dimension of your eyes, we pray today. Grow us, mature us, lead us into the fullness of this promise of the Spirit, we pray. Let all of the scriptures come and give us faith this morning to ask and to follow you into it. Oh, Lord, we ask. Keep us dependent, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right. Hey, do you want to quickly just take one moment? So we're going to close with a song. Um, the tent is available. You're welcome to fellowship under there. But I do sense, and my hands are hot. <laughs> um, there might be someone or a few of you who want to personally respond to this word uh, this morning. And if you do, you can come up to the front over here. Uh, we'll pray for you. We'll pray that the Lord would fill you with His Spirit, anoint you, and that there would be clear leadership over your life by the Spirit for what it is He's putting in front of you. So if you just maybe want to respond in your own personal way, just as the song's playing, you can stay there. If you want to come for prayer, you can. If you want to head out, you can do that too. So it's going to be a blurred finish. But I just sent someone wants to come up for prayer. So don't be scared. We're waiting for you. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love And here I raise my Ebenezer Seal it, seal it for thy courts of